had, not the whole book, but it began a story or began one of the days uh, in the, right at the beginning of the new year with these words. It's a good thing I grew up liking black eyed peas. By the way, those were not my words. I just want you to know that. Anyway, it was a good thing I grew up liking black eyed peas because my mother served them every New Year's Day. She didn't think this tradition would bring good luck, as some people believe, but the practice persisted at our home anyway. Many Americans welcome the new year with various things, some with cabbage, some with herring. Ooh, my mother used to have pickled herring around the new year. Okay, uh, so anyway, honey, uh, another said sardines, salt some. Uh, the Japanese eat long noodles. The, the Greeks bake a special bread. In Spain, the custom is to eat 12 individual grapes in the seconds leading up to the new year. I knew you wanted to know that, but it's in this anyway. Anthropologists, uh, he went on, say that eating certain foods to change one's, change one's fortune dates back to ancient Babylonia. The Bible says in Jeremiah 15, 16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. The prophet Jeremiah wasn't looking for good luck. As God's spokesman during a difficult time in Israel's history, he suffered rejection, persecution. Yet, God's word produced deep joy in his heart. Eating black-eyed peas won't influence the year ahead of me one bit. But if I'll make God's word a part of my life each day through reading, study, and memorization, that will make a difference. The Bible is food for thought and nourishment for the new year. Isaac Watts, the songwriter, penned this poem. Then let me love my Bible more and take a fresh delight by day to read these wonders o'er and meditate by night. The Bible is bread for daily use, it concluded, not cake for special occasions. It's a good thought, isn't it? The Bible truly is to be important to our lives. How important is it to you? Our theme for this year is staying true. And what is, it's all about is determining really to live life by the Bible, to stay true to the Word of God, because in staying true to the Word of God, we stay true to God, since it's, well, God's Word. Uh, so if that's going to happen, we need to love the Word, learn the Word, and live the Word. And that focus needs to be something we do uh, corporately as a church. But it needs to be something that we do individually. You know, it's one thing, and sometimes it's easy to preach things and look at it and say, well, yeah, as a church, this is what we need to do. But I hope you will realize and hope you'll understand as we spend time this evening, once again, looking at that subject from Psalm chapter 19, that this is, this is your responsibility, my responsibility, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. It's your job to be true to the word of God. And here's the thing. Corporately, we're not going to do that unless individually we do that very thing. We make the word of God important to our lives so that we might stay true. We said on Thursday, the church was started to provide people in the Franklin area with a church that preaches the truth of God's word so people can be saved so people can be baptized and then follow the Lord and grow in grace and in the knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
celebrating 30 years is, is a milestone, one that I'm grateful for, and I'm thankful that I've had a chance to be a part of, and I look forward to uh, the time in November when we can, you know, celebrate officially, if you would, 30 years since, uh, not that actually the church was started, because I know it started months before they actually signed the charter, uh, and yet... Uh, I'm thankful that we'll be able to celebrate a time when, as a church, we were organized so that we might fulfill this purpose. And by his grace, 30 years more, Brother Doyle is going to lead music, and I'm going to be here preaching at 99 and 89. And we'll both have our, our walkers at that point or be in wheelchairs or something like that. And, uh, and you know, we'll, we'll come back and do it again if the Lord so uh, chooses. But uh, here's the challenge again, to love it, to learn it, to live it. And that's found throughout the Bible. And we pointed you to Psalm chapter 19 because it does uh, very, uh, if you would, in a wonderful way, teach that great truth. Um, this this per passage, I put it this way, powerfully, passionately, pointedly, practically, purposefully, particularly, and poetically shares these three aspects of, uh, of attitude toward the Word of God. So carefully, concretely, completely consider and contemplate what God had for you in Psalm chapter 19. We're waxing, we're waxing, yeah, a I don't know how you would say that. All right, so how do you, waxing poetic way? Okay, well, anyway, uh, let's listen to God's word, and let's hear what God has for us. In fact, let's go ahead, and, and uh, we're, we're working on the two ver first two verses anyway, but read all of the verses with me, verses 7 through 11, if you would. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. And that is so true. I have an outline for you. So we can work on this and work through this passage a little bit further. Uh, thank you very much, young man. All right. Excellent. And <laughs> had to say that after we talked about being in wheelchairs in uh, 30 years from now. All right. So uh, uh, I ask you to do something uh, with me. And... Um, and for me tonight, I know that when you preach on a familiar passage, sometimes you can go into like, uh, well, into neutral and uh, think, well, I've heard this passage. I've heard it preached so many times. I've heard it emphasized. I've heard it brought out. And pastor, you brought it out just a few days ago. What more can you say? Well, um, now I'll tell you this, a lot more can be said uh, about it. But I want to ask you to really give attention to the, this passage because it really does hold a wealth of valuable truth, very valuable truth to consider and to evaluate. And we're going to begin uh, by uh, asking a question why we should love it, or I, I put it this way, it's virtue. Why we should love the Word of God. We stated that the text before us has all three aspects of our theme in it. 
Do you, do you remember what I said on Thursday about where it teaches us to love it? Oh, wow. Okay, you slept since then. It's been a whole year since then, right? There you go. All right, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Now, verse 10 does urge us to love it, but as I studied this passage further and spent some time a little bit further digging in, I came to the conclusion I blew it. So let, let me explain. Verse 10 speaks of how we ought value or see the word of God. We are indeed to see it. Uh, as something more valuable than gold, to view it as sweeter than honey. And those things are worthy of consideration, but it goes deeper than that. And as I was thinking about jumping into the reasons to learn the Word of God, found in verses 7 to, to 9, which we talked about as well, uh, something struck me and, and jumped out. Something struck me from the Bible, all right? Jumped out at me from the, the Word of God. And uh, here's the thing that's interesting to me. When I've heard this passage preached, and as I've preached it before, uh, often I've emphasized the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. We talk about the emphasis and what it will do. And then the testimony of the Lord is sure, and it makes wise the simple. And many times when we preach through the passage, it seems like we emphasize the second part of each one of the phrases. And um, the main point, though, is not what the Bible does in this, but the main point is where the Bible comes from. Think about this. In fact, this is something that just, I, as I was reading it through, I said, man, I have missed it. So let me start some phrases and you finish it. Well, actually, with three words. The law. The testimony, the, um, see, the statutes, the commandment, the fear, the judgments. So what is the emphasis of this passage? In, in what, three verses, six times, we are told something that, quite honestly, I've heard this passage preached on, and I know we talk about it a lot, but it's the focus. It's the emphasis of these verses. And yet, sometimes we just assume that, and we go on. Six times, God says, this is where the Bible comes from. And let me tell you something, that's why we need to love it. Because these are not man's words. Look, the virtue of the Bible comes from its creator. So it's virtue. Why we should love it is it's because it's a virtuous book, but its virtue comes from the fact of, that it's the creator who wrote this. The words of the Bible are not the opinions of men. They're not thoughts of men who penned these, uh, the, the words. They are the very words of God. They are the thoughts of God. They are the desire that God wanted us, to, the, the truth God wanted us to have. And if you think about this, the word Lord there is the word for Jehovah, which I know you know this, but there are many different words used to describe him, but six times. Rather than, by the way, the psalmist in many psalms uses a number of different terms for God, but he uses just one every time when he's describing this. He uses the very same word, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. 
He wants you to get this point. The self-existent, eternal one, Jehovah, wrote this book. So look, I should love it. It's not because it's of more value than gold, although it is. It's because God wrote it. I should love this book. It's a virtuous book because it's God's book. It comes from the very lips of God, the self-existent creator of the universe. And you say, well, why have I brought out creator? Because the first six verses of this chapter talk about the heavens declaring the glory of God and the firmament showeth his hand, showing forth his handiwork. And it does. Everything about the, the creation says there's a God. There's a God. There's a God. You know what? Everything about this Bible says there is a God. There's a God. There is a God. And he has spoken and he has given us something. And quite honestly, if we can read these verses and we miss that is, it is the law of the Lord. And if we miss that it's the testimony of the Lord. And if we missed that it's the commandment of the Lord. And if we miss that these are the statutes of the Lord. Or that it's the fear of the Lord. Or that it's the judgments of the Lord. That we miss the purpose for which uh, these words are found. And we miss the main focus and the main driving point that he wants to bring home. That this is the book of the creator God. This all amazing, all-powerful God who made me did not lead me to figure things out on my own. Let me ask you a question. Think about this. But uh, as far as religions are concerned, how do most people approach their God? What, how, do, how do the, how do the uh, I, we say pagans worship God? Well, they get a tree or cut, cut it down or whatever. They make some idol. They bow down to it. And they have no idea what makes their God happy. They have no idea what makes their God angry. They have no idea what, what you know, makes their God tick, if you would. You, you know what I'm saying? They don't know any of those things. And so it's all guesswork. It's all, it's in the dark. They're left to figure it out on their own. So they bow down to this God and, and well, things go bad in their life. And so they say, well, he must be mad at me. So they make more offerings or they do this or they do that and they come up with some other idea that they need to do and if they do something and, and actually things turn around then they say, that must be what my God wants. But the Bible tells me what God wants. So my faith is not as something I have no idea about, I have no clue about. God has revealed everything because God has given a law and he took the time to write these words and it's an amazing thought and I love him for it. And it ought to drive me to get into this book and say, wow, this book is amazing because it is the law of God. It, is, it holds the statutes of God. It is the, it is the fear of God. It is the judgment of God Almighty. It is what God himself has given. And so it's virtue is found in the fact that the creator, God, actually took time to communicate with me. He didn't wait for me to come to him. He communicated with me. What does John say in 1 John 4, 19? We love him. That's right, because God made the decision. And, and what is amazing is that until Moses wrote the law, God communicated with man, actually in a very individual and a very personal way, so that Abel knew he wasn't supposed to kill his brother. Adam and Eve talked with God on a daily basis. 
And so God communicated to man until the time when God then wrote the law and he gave us a written book from that time forward so that we would know exactly what we need to know. This powerful creator who holds the worlds in his hands came down and, and, and talks, talked with man and said, I just want you to know. I want you to know what, what makes my day. I want you to know what I'm thinking about. I want you to know what I care about, and I want you to know what I don't like and what I do like. And I want you to know how you should conduct your life and the things that you should do. And I love it because God cared enough about me to tell me what he likes and what he dislikes so I can live a life that's pleasing to him. Isn't that amazing? That is, that is powerful, friends. That is, that is powerful. And it's beautiful that God would do that very thing. And that's what Psalm 19 reveals. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And yes, the results are wonderful, but the fact that God communicated these things is truly amazing. I ought to love it. Now, not only did the writer share with us well, God shared with us that he took the time to give us these things, but he described these words that we find. And he did it six different ways. The virtue, its virtue is expressed in its content. How many names can you come up with for the Bible? In this passage, he comes up with six different names. You say Bible, scriptures, uh, New Testament, Old Testament. Oh, that's cheating. All right. Uh, what? Okay. Yeah, you're all cheating. You're taking David's words. Uh, no, make up, come up with your own. <laughs> Where did it come up with? Scripture. Yeah, we've all heard these before, right? David, David, as he's writing this out, didn't want to just say, and he could have, could he not? The law of the Lord is, is perfect, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, it's true and righteous altogether, and it'll do this, and it'll do this, and it'll do this, and it'll do this. But he took the time to think this through. I, I'll tell you something, he had, he had to really think this, he had to think this through. Six different descriptive terms to challenge us about how amazing this book is. That, that first, that God would communicate, the Lord, every time he said that. But then in six different terms he uses, he describes, and he describes something about what it means too. All right, so uh, he did that for a reason. By the way, if you think you can compete with David and come up with six names and titles for the Bible, then all I tell you to do is go to Psalm 119 and you'll lose. It's just the competition's over. Because he, I don't know how many times in, in Psalm 119, uh, he gives different terms and words for and descri descriptions of uh, this book. And, um, and truly, he had a mind that was centered, I had to be on God. But the descriptions are more reasons for us to love and to, and, and to learn and to live, quite frankly, all three things. But the first thing we see is what? Verse 7. It's described as? The law, and what do we learn about the law? 
It's perfect. So let's walk these things through and let's understand them. And uh, that's probably all we're going to be able to get done, quite frankly. So the law, what is the law? It's the Torah. That's the word that's used here, Torah. Okay, what is the Torah? Stay the law. Okay. Okay, it would include the first five books of the New Testament. Some would say specifically the laws that Moses wrote out would be uh, considered the Torah. But do you know in the book of Isaiah, I think it's in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20, it re Isaiah referred to and used the word Torah, and he described and used, and he, was, he referred to all of Scripture that had been given up to that time and at that point. And so the Torah is, would be any of the Scripture, any of the word that God has given. Now, we would say today, the Bible is perfect. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it will make the man of God perfect. But we would say that all Scripture, then, is perfect. So then, let me ask you the second question, then. The law, or the Scripture, is perfect. Um, so what does that mean? What does it mean that God's Word is perfect? If you were to look at the definition for perfect, the word used here, you might find the word entire. You might find the word complete. But let me tell you that you can't give it that necessarily that definition. Why? Because when this was written, if it was complete, we have trouble. Am I right? So then, how do we, how should we translate the word perfect in this passage? Okay, maybe without error. Good thought. But let me tell you that you can go to the Old Testament and look up different places where this word is used and you get a wonderful picture. Because in the first five books of the Bible, in the what some would call the, the Torah, um, the Pentateuch, whatever term you want to use uh, for that, in those first five books, you'll find that this word is used numerous times in reference to offerings that were made to God and here are the term, here's the word, word you'll find, without blemish. It's translated perfect after the first five books of the Bible, a great portion of the time. But the first five books of the Bible, almost every time you'll see without blemish or without spot. So when David wrote these words, I believe the intention he had in his mind is not that it's complete or it's entire, but that it is without any kind of blemish. That there are no blemishes in this book. That there, are, there, there is no at any error at all. It is without spot. And that seems to be the intent of the author. It's flawless. Now, how many books have been written that, that have been revised and edited? You think about it, you know, like every 15 years, they go back and revised and, and, uh, and you know, new and improved edition, you know, because, well, things have changed, but this book hasn't. I, I don't know if you marvel, you, you marvel in that, but you should, and it should lead you to love this book because it hasn't needed to be edited from the very beginning. When it was originally written, no one had to come and write another version it's always been right. It was written and it was flawless 
when it was written. And it still is because God has preserved his word. That is, is another, it's just, I, if you really think it through, you've got to say, what an amazing book. Who could write 66 books and have them all flawless? Who could write one of these and have it flawless? And yet, that's what the Bible tells us it is. And no wonder then, when God says the law of the Lord is perfect, we ought love it. Because God gave us a book that was without flaw, without imperfection. It's like no other book ever written. I, I, someone defined it this way, entirely in accord with truth and fact. And is it any wonder then that it can convert the soul? Because it tells the unadulterated truth without any error whatsoever. And it's accurate in every other area of life. There's a wonderful verse in the New Testament that talks about the word, actually a whole portion of scripture in James chapter 1. But in verse 25, the Bible says this, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, describing the word of God, and continueth there, and he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. I think that describes very well what he's talking about here. It's a law that frees man, but it's perfect. It's complete. It's flawless. Flawless instructions. I got a call from my sister. Uh, anytime we get a call from my sister, it's just it's worrisome. But I got a call from my sister. I think it was yesterday. I, I, I just got to give my sister a hard time. So we had, we had purchased a gas grill for her because they were clearance priced here, but not over in Carolina. So we had to take it apart to get it in her vehicle. And my nephew was putting it back together for her. And so they called. And here was the question. Where are the nuts for the four bolts? So I'm... Um, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> well, the nuts here, you just called them, so there, there you go. But where are the nuts? And, um, well, here's the thing. Um, the, the nuts were actually built into the base so that you just put the, the top down, and these four bolts would just screw in. You didn't need a physical nut. But the instructions, the Chinese instructions, Nothing bad ever comes out of China. The Chinese instructions said that there were nuts, and so they were calling to ask where they were. And once I told them again, the problem was solved. Now, how many of you, time have you had instructions given that were flawed? You know, that, that didn't say it exactly. They had blemishes. Maybe because a change of design, maybe because it was an incompetent worker, maybe because someone typed the wrong thing. But when God gave his word, it was just flawless. I don't know if you, you marvel at that, but you should. And it should cause you to say, man, what a, what a book I have. What a God. So the law of the Lord is perfect. Then we find number two. Uh, in verse seven, uh, not only is the law perfect, but then we have the, the testimony of the Lord is sure. The testimony is sure. Witnesses in the court of law are important, aren't they? What do they do? They share what they know to be true, what they've observed to be true, what they've seen, what they've been told, what they know. To testify what they saw about a matter in question. So imagine with me that we're in court. 
a man's on trial for murder. 20 people, one after another, get up and they say the same thing. I was there. I saw the man take a gun, pull back the trigger, and shoot this man in cold blood. I saw it with my eyes. 20 people all witnessed the exact same thing. Then, after the 20 have spoken, an expert gets up and says, I've studied guns all my life. I studied the gun. I studied the bullet fragments. I've looked at the fingerprints, and this man could not have been the killer. I know it. Who's right? I mean, I mean who could question the expert? He studied science and fingerprinting all his life. He knows the accuracy and reliability of his studies. He can't be wrong. But the question has to be asked by the jury, at least I hope they will, is, were you there? That makes sense, doesn't it? Then I ask you to consider, uh, why, uh, to ask you to, this, why do people consider, well, no, don't, don't ask yourself this question. Yeah, I'm going to, why do people consider me insane? Because I believe the eyewitness who said, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The experts say, we know how the world came into being. Which is interesting because none of the experts agree. But that's what the expert says. And they've studied it their entire life. But my question is, were you there? Because the only one that I know that was there gave witness. That's what testimony is. And he said, in the beginning, God. So I'm the idiot? Because I believe the one who saw it? Isn't that amazing? Well, the whole argument has been turned around when the one who gave witness, who was there, who saw it all, told me exactly how it happened. God's testimony is sure. Not just when it comes to the creation, because he was there. But God's witness about everything is right. It's true. It's sure, it's reliable. Now, we know in a courtroom, 20 people might perjure themselves. But when David talked about God's testimony, he said this, it's sure, and that word sure means firm, faithful, or trustworthy. Why is it trustworthy? Well, because we're told in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 that God cannot lie. God, you know, if you got God on the witness stand, I'm not trying to be, you know, a, a disrespectful, but if you got God on the witness stand, he can't do anything but tell you the truth. He can't. He cannot lie. And so he has told us, and he's given us his word. 
You know, the moral code existent in our world today is designed by God. How do we know it's wrong to kill a person? Who, whoever told you that and who designed that in the first place? Look, if you believe that evolutionary mumbo-jumbo garbage, who came up with that idea and why are they the authority? But the witness, the one who made man, the one who understands how everything works, and the one who designed it all in the first place, testified and said, thou shalt not kill. He also said, thou shalt not commit adultery. He also said, thou shalt not steal. He said, you're not to bear false witness. He also said, honor thy father and thy mother. And those are absolutes. Because the witness, the one who was there, who made it, who had it, who designed it all in the first place, said, this is the way it is. And I don't lie. I can't help but love the Bible and understand that this is God's witness to us. But what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's not true. And, and he was the one that was there. It begs the question, were you there? And he was. The statutes of the Lord. That's the third thing we see, correct? Verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are right. You know what statutes are? Yeah, in the court of law, statute. They talk about statutes. All right, they're mandates. They're rules. Uh, the Bible tells us things that God has appointed. And so it's not a book to be taken lightly or dismissed because the creator of all tells us, this is what I expect. These are my mandates. Now look, we've heard a lot about mandates re recently. And a lot of those mandates are not good. You have to get a shot. Um, well, only, only certain people need to get a shot. Or they can't keep their job. Others can. Uh, it's amazing, the mandates that people make. But, but look at what it says in this passage. The statutes of the Lord are right. Every one of God's mandates, everyone is right. Um, and uh, there's a book that tells us everything God expects from us in life and everything 